What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to today's edition of the Baseball America College Podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill. Joining me, as always, is Joe Healy. And we're coming to you here on March 1st after the second weekend of action in college baseball. A lot to get to on today's show. There's a new number one in the Baseball America Top 25. It is the Arkansas Razorbacks for the first time in the history of the rankings. They move up to number one. Ole Miss tumbles after losing a series to UCF. We've got chaos already in the ACC after just one weekend of play uh, for that conference. And we're going to touch on some things out West uh, as UCSB and UCLA both notch important victories. Uh, But first, I've got to let you know that the Baseball America College podcast is presented by Rapsodo. Rapsodo has become the industry standard in player performance data. Coaches use Rapsodo data as a measuring stick for player development and evaluation. The Rapsodo National Player Database is a free service that allows you to see how you stack up against your peers and provides a pathway to get discovered by scouts. Check out the Rapsodo National Player Database at rapsodo.com slash national database. All right, Joe, it was, uh, it was a fun weekend of college baseball again. And uh, while we will get to all the things that I touched on in the, uh, in the intro there, uh, Joe, what we're really here to talk about today is uh, 7-0 Southern Illinois. Hey man, that's uh, <laughs> Salukis are hot, man. They can and that that team can hit. That's an old offense. Uh, they're they're putting up runs in bunches, and um, you know, I doing the MVC preview. I wanted, you know, it was one of those teams where I kind of wanted to run them up higher and was wanting to wait and see what they could do. And they are uh, showing that maybe they're a dark horse in the Missouri Valley Conference. But you're right; that's really the top story here is SIU uh, of, of Carbondale uh, being seven and zero. So we're going to spend the next thirty five minutes breaking the box scores down line by line and then we'll get to the rest of that stuff but uh but yeah shout out to the salukis for for a uh for a hot start swinging the bats well 
Shouts to Lance Rhodes. There are actually, if you go through and look at some of the undefeated teams, uh, there are some fun ones out there. Stetson is 9-0. and That's leading the country. Uh, South Carolina Upstate, they're 6-0. and Southern Illinois, 7-0. and Eastern Michigan is 2-0 and for the first time. And, uh, God, I should have pulled up how long it's been. It's honestly been a long time since Eastern Michigan's been 2-0. and So uh, it's uh, it's happening for some schools, and, and that is that is fun to see. But we are uh, we're, we're going to dive into this here with the Hogs, Joe. Uh, I think that's what the people want, at least what the Arkansas fans want. And there are many of you uh, out there. So Arkansas is undefeated as well. They are seven and zero. They and we we addressed this over the last week on the various podcasts that they started very well uh, in the Arlington tournament last weekend, going three and zero against Texas te- Texas Tech and TCU, though not in that order. Um, and then they come home for a four-game series against Southeast Missouri State. And, Joe, on Thursday, it was a little rocky for the Hogs. SEMO uh, gave them everything they wanted. SEMO had a lead going into the ninth inning, but they couldn't hold it. And from there, it was really all Hogs the rest of the weekend, the whole Hog, if you will. And so – them being seven to zero and looking quite good while doing it, combined with Ole Miss's series loss to UCF, as well as some additional chaos. The top three teams in the top twenty-five all had losing weekends for the second week in a row. Uh, that has that has rocketed the uh, the Arkansas Razorbacks to number one for the first time in top twenty-five history, which is kind of surprising to me. Uh, just given Arkansas's history, I mean, they're a program that's been good to great uh, the entire time the top 25 has existed. So, you know, it just feels like it would be the type of thing where at least for a week or two, they would have held the top spot, but um, was was not the case until this week. So yeah, congrats to Arkansas on that. Well-deserved. Obviously, a lot of it is coming as a result of the 3-0 week in Arlington to start off the season. Not that not that sweeping SEMO doesn't deserve some recognition. I mean, it, it does, especially after that first game when they, they really did kind of make what I would call routine work um, of the Red Hawks the rest of the rest of the weekend, including in the finale. It was a, a weather-shortened five-inning game that looked like it was going to get really, really ugly. At some point, they were already up 11-4. to four, So uh, the other thing I would say, though, is that this is a team that I think could still probably play better because it's – the offense sometimes has felt a little inconsistent. You know, the, the last two games in Arlington, they, they put four runs on the board. They're certainly capable of a lot better than that. They kind of needed saving in that opener against, against SEMO. And so the offense has been good in spots. It's been just kind of okay in other spots. And what they're doing on the mound is it's pretty wild, honestly. <laughs> they're, I mean, they're just throwing numbers at, at, at the pitching side of things. And, you know, in some ways, I think that's kind of the way they had – sketched it out you know Dave Van Horn we've mentioned this several times now but talked about in the fall how impressed he was with hey we've got you know x number of guys you know a dozen guys or what have you and they've used more than a dozen at this point but that we feel really strongly about guys that are throwing you know with with higher velocity than we've ever had here and and guys with better stuff than we've ever had here and we're just going to kind of let that shake out and sometimes you hear that and you kind of think okay that might mean that he actually isn't sure who his best guys are um, so sometimes you can almost hear that as like kind of like a backhanded compliment, 
but in this case, it's kind of the way they're building their pitching staff. I mean, nobody, nobody on this pitching staff has thrown 10 innings yet total. Um, so they're clearly just using a lot of different guys in a lot of different roles that the star is on the mound has been Peyton Paulette. I mean, it looks like he might be a real guy here and maybe can kind of change the complexion of this pitching staff because he's been that good so far. So maybe, you know, maybe this is kind of the strategy Arkansas uses all season. We, we've seen a lot of this in college baseball early. I think the combination of, uh, you know, the, the COVID situation where teams just have had a strange lead up to the season in some cases, you know, fall was kind of weird and season in short last year where maybe people are being a little more cautious with pitchers and people have more pitching than they've ever had. So maybe this is, this is the kind of approach that ends up carrying on throughout the entirety of the season. That'll remain to be seen. Um, but I think there's also a scenario where, you know, maybe Arkansas gets this a little more figured out is a little more settled on the weekends where they're not having to turn to four or five relievers in any given game. And this team maybe ends up playing a little bit better than they even are right now, um, which is obviously quite good news for them. Yeah. I do think it's pretty clear that right now, Arkansas is not a finished product. They're, they're definitely, it seems like they're testing things out in a variety of ways, both in the lineup and on the pitching staff and the fact that they're just rolling through opponents while doing so is definitely a testament to, uh, to the talent that they have there. Paulette has been outstanding. He was uh, good as a, as a reliever in the early going last year, as a, as a true freshman, he has very clearly made a jump. His, his stuff is electric. He's only throwing a fastball and a curveball at you, but nobody's coming close to hitting it right now. And, uh, you know, I imagine that watching his development over the next, uh, over the rest of this season and then into next season is, is going to be fun for, for the folks in Fayetteville. Offensively, you know, Christian Franklin and Robert Moore, you have to look down the stat sheet a little bit to find them because when you sort by batting average, they're under 300. But if you look at the peripherals, uh, they're pretty good there. Christian Franklin has three bombs already. And, uh, you know, they, especially Robert Moore got off to a slower start in Arlington. So they're, they're coming around and, and that's huge. Uh, they also got Matt Goodhart back this weekend. He missed the first five games due to injury. That's big offensively as well. Just gain another experienced hitter in there. And I've been impressed by what Casey Opitz has done at the plate. We think of him more as a defensive catcher, uh, but in, in this, his fourth year of college, it was a surprise that he didn't get drafted last year, but he's back and, uh, you know, that's uh, getting getting the offense they're getting from him right now is is very significant as well. So, Joe, this is a team that we ranked 14th in the preseason and we had questions about the pitching staff mostly. But just in general, there were absences. You can't lose Heston Kerstad and Casey Martin and not have some questions about the the offense, even even if you have Christian Franklin and, and Robert Moore and Casey Opitz coming back. Uh, but, you know, I had, I personally had a lot of questions about the rotation. I knew that there was talent on the pitching staff. I just didn't know if there was elite starting talent. And um, I am, I'm here to atone for that. I was wrong. This team uh, is, is as deep on the mound as it needs to be. It's got premium pitching talent Again, right now, I don't know what their rotation is going to be once they start SEC play. Paulette hasn't started openers yet. Is he going to move to that Friday night role? I don't know. Uh, you know, so I, I still don't know that 
how it's going to look when they, you know, go up against a Jaden Hill, you know, or, or a, a Doug Nikhazy. Will they have the edge in the rotation in those games? Like right now, I would definitely have to say no. But with all the depth they can run at you out of the bullpen, you know, it, it matters a lot less. Like this is this is much more like I talked about with Florida, like, okay, the, you know, Tommy Mace is outstanding, but, you know, is he as good as a, as a Kamar Rocker or, you know, a Jaden Hill or, or some of these guys, like probably not, maybe certainly not as, as uh, it doesn't have the, the, the same kind of like elite stuff. But when you have a really good pitcher on Friday night and then everything like that behind them in the bullpen, that, that's a that's a winning combination. And that's what I see uh, with this Arkansas team. So I I don't know that they're by virtue of being number one right now, I guess we have to say they're the favorites in the SEC West. I don't know that there's a favorite in that division. It's just going to be so congested all season long. They're gonna beat up, up on each other. But you know, the hogs right now are if this is where they are now, much like I said with Florida, if, if this is where Florida is on opening day, just two weeks into the season, what, whenever we're talking about, look out for them in, in May and June. I, I feel the exact same way about Arkansas. And, you know, to their credit, they're, they're rolling even better right now. I would agree. I think, you know, I think it's fair to, to the questions that we had about this team. I think, it's, I think it's fair, even though we have rightfully been impressed with the level of quality on the mound and what the offense has been able to do in spurts. I still think it's right to kind of have some of those questions. It's the kind of deal where in lieu of giving us definitive answers on some of those questions, because we, we don't exactly know what, what the pitching staff is going to look like when it's all said and done. Maybe it looks exactly like what we've seen through seven games. Maybe it doesn't. And, you know, offensively we're, we're still waiting on some guys and they got, you mentioned Matt Goodhart back. So that group is still kind of taking shape. So I think it's actually okay to still hang on to some of those questions, but when a team, in spite of those questions, does what Arkansas has done through two weeks, you, you still have to reward them in that way and say, look, you know, they're, 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 they're in the process of proving, proving us wrong and, and proving that those questions were uh, having questions in that way were, were unwarranted. So um, it's, it, you know, they're just kind of overcoming um, some of those things that we, that we have questions about. And the test obviously will be once they get into SEC play here in a few weeks. Uh, continuing to to answer those questions in, in the positive direction. But, you know, until they prove otherwise, it looks like they're on the way to doing so. And that's why we have them at number one. Yeah, I, uh, I, I think I'm a little more enthralled by them right now than you. I, I think it's fair to, to keep wondering uh, until you see it against, you know, week-to-week SEC competition. But for me, this is uh, this is what they were talking about in Fayetteville, I think. And – so I'm, I'm going to have to, to roll with, uh, roll with it. You know, I, it's maybe not the way I would design a team, but this is the one they've got and they seem pretty excited about it. Uh, and I don't mean just the fans here that this is, this is what DVH was talking about in, in the off season. And, you know, I, I think that it was hard for me to envision what that actually was going to look like, especially knowing that, okay, you still have Connor Nolan and Patrick Wicklander. Are you really going to like kick them out of the rotation? And, oh, wait, they did. So uh, that's how good these, these other arms are. That wasn't, that wasn't just smoke 
Uh, and he's not one to blow smoke, but to uh, to see the actual smoke coming out of that that pitching staff right now, you know they're averaging north of 91 miles an hour on their fastballs as a team right now. Uh, it's uh, it's impressive stuff. So we'll uh, we'll see where Arkansas goes from here. Uh, we'll see if they can hang on to number one, which is something that Florida and Ole Miss uh, were unable to do so far this year. And Joe, let's uh, let's talk about those Rebs. They they started life as the number one team pretty well, <laughs> very well. I would say they they finished a sweep in Arlington on Monday. Then they, they came back, won their home opener in the midweek, uh, and and then UCF rolled into town. And this was a UCF team that, as we talked about in in the preview, had given up forty five runs in four games against FAU and Stetson. They were one and three coming into Swayze, and pitching had been a real problem and it just didn't seem like that was going to be the place to go to get your pitching right but that is exactly what UCF did they were excellent on the mound all weekend long it started with ace Colton Gordon on Friday night they win that game they uh they're playing a doubleheader on Saturday due to a bad forecast on Sunday they are leading uh, Ole Miss going into the ninth can't quite close it in game one and you know Joe I know you thought at that point like okay here we're going to find out what UCF is made of mentally because a lot of teams in that situation uh, you know the game one's blown save loss bleeds into game two well that that did not happen for UCF they came out AJ Jones was excellent on the mound in the nightcap and and they just they handled Ole Miss in, in game three. And, you know, they, they leave Swayze with a, with a, a monumental series win. Indeed they did. And, and you're right. You know, they, they lose, not just lose, you know, game one of a doubleheader, but lose it in the way they did, you know, two run lead in the ninth. And it was one of those ninth inning rallies for Ole Miss that you could really just kind of see coming like for every, for every last second of that ninth inning, you were like, Oh, you know, we've seen this before. Like we know how this is ending. And it, it, it kind of, that inevitability kind of felt with the second game in the doubleheader, like, okay, they're going to, Ole Miss is going to get right here and they're going to sweep this doubleheader and, you know, really kind of put the opening series, opening game loss of the series behind them. But it wasn't just that UCF came out and, and won that finale. It's that they, they really put it away quickly. I mean, they, they scored runs in five different innings, including runs in the second, third, and fourth, and, and really just kind of smothered Ole Miss in that last game. And A.J. Jones, like you mentioned, was was really excellent, you know, striking out 10 and six innings. I mean, this was a this was really a bad time for Ole Miss to catch UCF because UCF is a talented team. Um, it also strikes me as a team that's like a little bit um, – has a little bit of you – know, I think this is about Tulane, too. We probably won't talk much about the Tulane-Mississippi State series, but that one was airtight, too. And I think Tulane is kind of this way, too, where there's kind of like a like a little bit of an edge to them, too, and a little bit of – there's like kind of a chip-on-the-shoulder attitude, and I think some of these American – Yeah, I think the teams, entire conference plays yeah. like underdogs at all times. For sure. And, you know, really has that, like, power six guys uh, mentality about it. Yeah. And I don't I, – I know I said that derisively, but I don't mean it as derisively as I just sounded. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I think you're right though. I think that that entire conference kind of has that attitude of, Hey, we're, you know, we, we've got good baseball programs too. And, you know, but a lot of the, a lot of the guys, the reality is a lot of the guys on these rosters at places like Tulane and UCF really 
uh, would have liked to have been at an SEC school. Not all of them. I'm sure some, it was a unique situation and whether it was better scholarship situation, better opportunity to play, it happens to be their dream school, whatever. Some of them wanted to be where they are, but a lot of them wanted to be at SEC schools. So they do have kind of this edge about them. And so, you know, I think Ole Miss just kind of caught UCF at a bad time in terms of UCF knew that there was some urgency about this series now because of what had happened opening weekend. So the combination of UCF being talented, UCF always kind of playing with an edge and UCF being angry, I think made it a really tough situation for Ole Miss, which is not to excuse what happened with Ole Miss. I mean, the offense um, has just been not very good on balance. It was good enough over the first weekend of the season, not having Peyton Chatonnier this, this past weekend against UCF undoubtedly hurt. Uh, he was a real catalyst opening weekend. And when you look at it now, um, you know, they've got one regular hitting better than 300. Um, you know, Hayden Leatherwood, Tim Elko, a couple guys you thought were going to be key cogs are hitting below 200. Um, so it's just been kind of a struggle on that side. The pitching was good enough with the exception of, you know, on, in the final game, I think I call it the Sunday game, but you know what I meant by that earlier. Um, in the final game of the series, like, you know, they really did kind of smother Derek Diamond. But the first two days of the of this or the first two games of the series, McKay and Hoagland were were probably good enough in, in a lot of games. Um, but the offense just wasn't able to, you know, uh, do enough to reward them in terms of putting a win in the in the in the win column for them. So um, maybe they'll get it figured out. You know, I'm not sure exactly what the prognosis on Chatanye is. Maybe Teddy, you know that a little bit better than I do. Maybe or a couple weeks. Yeah, a couple weeks. So eventually he'll be back. We'll have to see. Hamstring things are kind of. I think it's a hamstring thing, right? Am I that right is about correct. That? Yeah, those kind of things are weird. So you never know. Like hamstring thing could really take all season. I, and I'm not saying that's going to be the case, but I'm just saying it's dangerous to assume that he comes back and is immediately the same guy as he was before. That could be, but it might not be. Um, but that's going to be the question. You know, can this team be more consistent offensively moving forward? Because if they just kind of pitch the way they did this past week, and they're going to win a lot of games, um, but we, we just haven't seen the, the type of production that um, we think they can provide. Uh, offensively yeah they need elko and leatherwood to get right offensively or absent them getting right they need somebody to to fill that role justin bench played well over the weekend um so maybe he can uh you know continue kind of doing things do his hot ish start at the plate like i don't want to call it hot he's eight for 27, but, but he's been solid. And I think it was even better over the weekend than it was the first week. And so maybe he keeps that up. I do think though that Leatherwood and Elko are not going to stay down forever. Uh, I, I think that there's, there's something to be found with, with those two guys. Um, John Rice Plumley came in and homered. Um, so maybe there's, Maybe there's something there. Uh, you know, he is hyper talented uh, and very athletic. Just we, he, he is behind by virtue of not playing fall ball. Uh, Trey Lafleur look has looked good at times. Maybe he can work into more of a regular role. I, this is a team that's trying to figure out what its offense is uh, right now. And until Leatherwood and Elko start hitting it's going to be hard for them to do it. They, they can cycle through any number of guys and, and they have been uh, particularly once second base became open. They've, they've tried several different players there. And, you know, I, I think they'll, they'll figure it out. Mike Clement does a great job with their hitters. They, they will hit. I'm not concerned about that, but until, until they get it going, it is, 
it puts a lot on their rotation and you know UCF was uh was up to the task of matching them that that their rotation of Gordon Hunter Patterson and AJ Jones uh held held them to to a 250 ERA. Um, UCF issued just six walks on the weekend. That that's uh, you know that that's a big part of why they they did what they did. I think is is just throwing a lot of strikes, and that's that's got to be the UCF way on the mound. They don't have a lot of premium stuff. Colton Gordon is a really really good pitcher. He's uh, he's proven that over the last two years, but he's not he's not a premium velocity guy. So. They need to throw strikes. They did a lot better job at that this weekend than they did uh, at, at, in the first week of the season, and, and they come out of it with the with the big series win. And I think for UCF that if they can continue that, if they can prove what they did on the mound this weekend was not a fluke. And I think that you know what they are on the mound is much closer to what they showed this weekend than what they showed in the first weekend then this is the team that we ranked in in the preseason at number 24. In fact, they might be better than that because Alex Freeland has been phenomenal to start his career. I know Jacob Gonzalez got a a lot of run as a true freshman shortstop last week. Uh, He tailed off a little bit, came came back to earth, but Alex Freeland, another true freshman shortstop who came in with a lot of, you know, buzz out of high school, He's hitting 500. <laughs> um, that's uh, that's what you want out of your true freshman shortstop. And you know, their uh, their catcher Ben McCabe, who's a second year freshman, already has four home runs. Like there's offense to be found there. Uh, so I, I really like the Knights going forward and to address why they aren't ranked, having beaten the number one team in the country. Well, it's because they're three and four. If they had beaten Stetson, they they'd have been back in the rankings this week. But we just couldn't put a, uh, a sub 500 team back into the rankings, even as good as, as their series win was. Yeah, I think it, it really creates a situation too, where now I'm, you know, after the first week I was a little bit, you know, we had the UCF losing the series to Florida Atlantic. We had Tulane losing the series to the raging Cajuns. You know, we had East Carolina like playing with its food a little bit against Rhode Island in that first series before it got straightened out. And so I was kind of thinking, oh, you know, I was really excited about the American race. And one week later, here we are, where Tulane took Mississippi State to the brink. I guess we'll see. I mean, they're two and four now. <laughs> we'll have to see, you know, if it's just been tough luck or what the deal is there. But certainly East Carolina and UCF have, have now shown us very clearly uh, the ceilings they have. And so uh, the American Athletic Conference, you know, we, we talked about how there's a little bit of a, a chip on their shoulder to prove that they do belong among the best conferences in college baseball. And that obviously the data shows that. And now I think we're seeing it so far this season in the quality of the teams that they are putting on the field. Absolutely. So as, as is annually the case, expect that race to be tight and uh, full of fire, because as we said, these teams all play uh, with the chip on their shoulder and that does not stop once they stop playing uh, major conference competition. They uh, these games are fiery. And so that, that, that should be a fun race to watch. All right, Joe, I want to talk about the ACC race, uh, which is already getting chaotic after one week. Uh, And we'll get to that here in a second. But first, check this out. All right, Joe, the ACC became the first major conference to open conference play this season. 
As, uh, as we've noted a few times here on the podcast before, this happened because the ACC expanded to 12 conference weekends and because several conferences or several teams in the conference have a rule that either they have to take their finals week off or they have to at least be home for their finals week that makes scheduling complicated. So here we are, uh, second weekend of the season, already into conference action. And uh, <laughs> Joe, I, I know you're familiar with the, the familiar or the, the, uh, uh, the, 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 the trope in, in college football of a chaotic ACC, of the wheel of destiny, of coastal chaos, uh, you know, the idea basically being that by transitive property, the entire ACC is, is going to have beaten each other by the end of the season. Uh, that's especially true in the coastal division where Clemson does not reside. Uh, obviously, Clemson football has, has been has kind of dominated the conference and, and has been a bit immune to the to the rest of the chaos around it. But anyway, the, the chaos is coming to the diamond this year. And we saw it on opening weekend. There were six series, all but Clemson and Louisville were in conference play to, to start opening or to, to start the ACC season this, this last weekend. And of those six series, five were won by the road team. And the only one that wasn't was North Carolina beating Virginia at home. That was previous number two, Virginia. And the... There were five series that had a ranked team by the Baseball America Top 25 playing in them. All five of those ranked teams lost the series. The one that wasn't, um, Joe would definitely call it an upset. Uh, Notre Dame knocked off Wake Forest. I might be inclined to say that Notre Dame did what it was expected to do, except that Notre Dame was playing its, uh, its season opener. It didn't get to play last week because of COVID issues. So... Notre Dame steps right into the regular season and uh, goes down to Wake. They haven't played outside at all, really. They, they go down to Wake and and they win a series. So just a, a wild weekend overall. So uh, to to address all of this, I guess North Carolina beats Virginia. We had Notre Dame beating Wake. We had Boston College beating Duke. We had Virginia Tech beating Miami. And we had Georgia Tech going on the road to to sweep North Carolina State. Uh, Joe, I'll let you take this uh, any direction that you want. I know that you definitely want to let me know that my Omaha sleeper pick of Notre Dame was by far the right choice and uh, that the Irish are going to Omaha. But I'll, I'll let you say that and uh, whatever else, whatever else you want to you want to take this this ACC uh, chaos. Well, it's so kind of you to give me that opportunity. <laughs> I, uh, that, that was, uh, that was an impressive series win, uh, between, between two. Now, you know, I, I reject the hypothesis that I am, um, you know, was, was super high on also was super high on Wake Forest to begin with. I think I, I would have favored Wake Forest in that series, but that was an important series in all seriousness, because we talk about this all the time that in these tough conferences, these are zero sum games by def. I don't know if you know this, but like in a baseball game, like at the end, there has to be a winner and a loser. Now, sometimes, you know, you get like a travel shortened tie or a rain shortened tie, but for the most part in a baseball game, you're looking to have a winner and a loser. Are you familiar with this kind of, I am. And uh, I'm also just now that you're thinking, mentioning that I am so glad that we have yet to run into a travel curfew this year. 
I thought I thought was going to happen with yeah. uh, with Pitt last night, but it didn't. Yeah, we're doing we're doing well so far. So good through two weeks in terms of that. You know what? And the weather, as kind of gross as it's been in some places, the weather really hasn't. Um, you know, the, the the weather hasn't been as disruptive. I think because in week one we had so much weather anxiety about it, but for the most part, like it feels like even if people were trying to shove double headers on Sunday just to get something in, it feels like most people who were looking for games got games. So um, kudos to. I presume kind of like the ops people uh, who are working overtime this time of year to make sure that stuff all gets taken care of. So, and the grounds crew, the grounds crew. Yes. Shouts to the grounds crew. Yeah. Tough job this time of year and, and uh, trying to do college baseball games in the wintertime. So yes. Uh, where was I? Oh, Wake Forest and Notre Dame. So in these tough conferences, we talk about this all the time. Like you win at the expense of someone else. And if you're going to be a team like a Notre Dame, who is trying to claw its way back up the ACC pecking order, you're going to have to do it at the expense of, of other teams. You can't just not get swept against all the teams who are better than you on paper and then only win series against the teams that are on paper worse than you, because that's not going to do it. In order to climb up the standings, you're going to have to pick off a couple series against teams that are either roughly in your neighborhood or are better than you on paper. And so this was definitely one of those for Notre Dame. I think it's two teams in a similar spot in the ACC pecking order and Notre Dame went on the road and took care of business there. I think it's a big first step for them in terms of getting back in the postseason. I feel the same way, I guess, as a transition point, I feel the same way about BC winning that series against Duke because while Duke was ranked and BC was not, those are, I think, two teams that are kind of in this similar spot and, and BC is trying to get back into the postseason after it hasn't been in a few years. And so by virtue of that, they are having to kind of claw their way back up and they need to win series like that in order to, in order to do that. Uh, your larger point is, is definitely true that uh, this was the most ACC coastal weekend of baseball that I think I can uh, remember. It was just uh, nuts. And I think it's a little preview of what we're going to see all season. Like we, 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 you know, we pushed Florida state, NC State and Duke out of the top 25 this week. And I would actually, if you made me bet one way or the other, I bet every single one of those teams is back in the top 25 at some point, if I had to go one way or the other on it. Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, I got to say, I got concerns about Florida State and NC State right now, but you know, I also know how I felt about them a week ago. So yeah, I, 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 can, uh, I can see that happening. And I'll, I'll go a step further. The only ACC teams to this point that we haven't ranked this season are Pitt, which is six and one. Don't look now. And uh, Wake Forest, uh, three and four, one and two. Uh, and uh, the aforementioned Notre Dame, which I mean, they're going to Omaha, so we're going to rank them at some point. And Clemson, which is three and two. And we may get to this. Uh, we probably should get to it. They, they lost two nail biters uh, this weekend at South Carolina and or against South Carolina. One was the neutral site game, uh, both in walk-off fashion. So I don't know, Joe, I honestly think that all 14 ACC teams might get ranked at some point this season. Now Pitt is probably the hardest sell on that for me because even though they went and they swept Florida state and are now six and one and their first series win against Indiana state looks even better after Indiana state split at Tennessee this weekend. Uh, you know, I, I still, they're, to me, on paper, that's the least talented team in the conference. They are old, however, and they pitch pretty pretty darn well this weekend. So, you know, there's a path, but to me, that's still a team that I, I want to see a little bit more out of. But 
I'm willing to say that this might be the year where we rank all 14 ACC teams at some point during the year. That would be really wild. Yeah, that would be that would be something to behold. Good point about Pitt and the Indiana State series because yeah, Indiana State really showed well. Could have won any of those games against Tennessee over the weekend and uh, won two of them, obviously. So you're you're right about Pitt. I mean, the resume is even stronger than I had realized at first. I'm with you that they're the one that seems like the hardest sell, but um, you know, I think we I think we just saw that. Uh, certainly, I mean, they're three and zero. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, they're, they're well on their way already. Um, I, quickly on the UNC Virginia series because I I was there for the opener of that one and Austin Love pitched really really well and I think that's huge for UNC because it was one of the questions we had is you know what what can we expect from them in the starting rotation they're not returning an obvious workhorse and Austin Love is a converted reliever but his stuff was excellent on Thursday he gave them length Um, he got out of some sticky situations he held his stuff he was still reaching back for 95 in the sixth or seventh inning so I think that was a really, really positive development for them. Um, you also liked what you saw in the bullpen. Familiar face guy like Joey Lancelotti was really good out of the bullpen. Nick Pry was great out of the bullpen. Team ERA is 157. Now that is not sustainable. I mean, that's the thing I would say about the UNC series win is I think they they may have caught Virginia at a good time um, because that Virginia offense really kind of seems like it's 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 scuffling right now. Zach Geloff is swinging it pretty well. Uh, Nick Kent hit some balls hard. I would, I would have to go back and look and see exactly what he did over the weekend. But when I was there on Thursday, he hit some balls hard. Uh, But by and large, that offense is is really kind of struggling. Uh, Chris Newell, perhaps their best, most talented, just in terms of raw talent, not their most proven, but perhaps their most talented position player um, is really struggling so far this season. Uh, Didn't have a hit over the, over the weekend, uh, was not in the starting lineup in the finale of the series. So I think UNC caught them at a good time combined with, okay, maybe UNC's pitching is a little better and a little more settled than we, than we realized, but pitching as well as they did this weekend for UNC, I don't think is sustainable because that would make them perhaps the best pitching staff in the country. And that seems like a little bit of a reach. Um, and you, then know, UNC- I, you know, I, I came into the season thinking UNC was going to do kind of what Arkansas was doing on the mound. Like, even if that wasn't the way they were talking, I just kind of thought like, uh, you got a lot of guys here that like I feel comfortable throwing four innings. You know, Lancelotti and Love both have done you know extended bullpen work. Uh, Lancelotti obviously did start last year, and okay, like Max Alba's coming off of injury. Max Carlson's coming in as a freshman. Like, what are they going to give? Uh, but Caden O'Brien has been a multi-inning reliever. I'm pretty sure Connor Olio has that in him as well. Like, I, like, are, 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 what about you just piggyback the whole thing? And that's not what they're doing. Um, particularly, they have a, a, a very settled rotation right now of Love, Carlson, Alba, and they've been very good. The bullpen has been outstanding. There's talent on this pitching staff, and they seem to already know how they want to deploy them, uh, which puts them ahead of many other teams around the country, obviously, and, as we've talked about here. And, you know, the pitching is going to have to carry UNC because at least for the moment, the lineup is not there. Justice Thompson is covering up a lot of flaws in the lineup right now. Uh, he's their junior college transfer. Who's hitting 520 <laughs> and made some outstanding defensive plays uh, out there in center field. Uh, he can only do this for, for so long. They got to get Soretti. They got to get Castanazzi, Sortaccio. Somebody's got to start helping him. Uh, but you know, I, I, 
I have, I still have questions, significant questions about the lineup. I'm not that worried about the, the, the pitching staff, obviously 157 as a team ERA is not going to hold for the rest of the season. But I do think that this could end up being one of the top end pitching staffs in the conference. And, and that wouldn't surprise me at all. Yeah. And they, they just may, and they may need it to, to be so because even in the most, uh, you know, charitable version of the UNC offense, you've got Justice Thompson out there. Danny Seretti is not going to hit 080 all season long. Um, so there are some nice pieces there. I, I, I like a little bit of what I saw from Caleb Roberts. Um, but even in, in the, like I said, the most charitable reading of what they will be offensively, I think um, that group gets a little better. The pitching maybe has a little bit of reversion to the mean. I, I, th- I still think we're looking at a, a pretty good team. I think they've proven here that, okay, this is a top 25 team. Um, what, what, their, what their ceiling is, I think, is a little bit tied to, okay, how far does that pitching staff revert? And, and maybe you're, you know, you know the personnel a little bit better than I do just having been around here longer than I have. And they do have some better guys on that staff who've, who've been around a long time. So I'll, I'll defer to you on that. And it sounds like you're pretty positive about it. So maybe I'm not giving them enough credit, but yeah, what I saw was, was, was definitely a top 25 team. And there's been a lot of hyperventilating about justice Thompson's performance and it's, it's deserved because he was awesome all weekend long or just a real game changer uh, offensively and defensively a joy to watch. Um, you know, fun guy to talk to, you know, talk to him after the game on Thursday and, you know, he's got a good attitude and good, good sense of humor. And um, so just kind of one of those guys you root for because he, he, you know, he's, he's fun to watch and seems like a, a fun loving guy. So it was cool to see him succeed in that way. Uh, the other thing is, uh, or one of the other series in, in the area, Georgia Tech and, and NC State, you mentioned having some concerns about NC State. And I think um, this is like uh we talk, we talk a lot about from like a philosophical standpoint, what the NC state pitching staff is because they do, they do like to do the thing you kind of talked about potentially with UNC where they piggyback things. I mean, that is kind of the NC state way over the last several years, unless they have a Nick Swinney on the staff or Carlos Rodon on the staff, for example, outside of those couple of guys they've had, they do like to kind of do the stacking pitchers and the piggybacking thing. And sometimes when, when that's effective, like you kind of have to just tip your hat and give them credit and Hey, they, you know, they give the opponent a lot of different looks and, you know, keep guys off balance and they don't overexpose anyone. And, and they, that gets the job done, but when it doesn't go well, it just doesn't look very good. And I think that's exactly what we saw over the weekend with Georgia tech and, you know, the Georgia tech offense is one that when they get rolling and we knew this about them, this is not a surprise when the Georgia tech offense gets rolling uh, they can really bury you pretty quickly. And we saw that in the middle game where it's a three, three game. And then like literally five minutes later, it's eight to three because Georgia tech is hit back to back to back home runs. So it's, it's a kind of deal where, you know, the, the NC state pitching staff was kind of trying to operate in the way it wants to operate and it just didn't work. And so it ends up looking like a really, really bad weekend for them. And it was, it was a bad weekend for them. Um, it was just a plan that came together that did not work out like they were hoping it would. Here's the problem for NC State. Coming up, they have on Tuesday, Campbell. Campbell, very solid team, off to a good start. Then Miami, that's all at home. That's good for them. It's all at home. Then they're at Duke. Then they're at Coastal for a midweek. Then they have Louisville coming in. Then they're at UNCW. Then they're at UNC. Then they're at UNCG. Then they're home against Clemson. I, like, I could keep going. There is no let up in this. This is a problem for every ACC team this season. There are, there's no break. There's 
you know, it, they are playing midweek games, but for the most part, these teams play really strong quality midweek opponents. And, you know, those opponents are hyped up to go play the midweek game, whereas the ACC team is typically, you know, just trying to, you know, get its, you know, it wants to win. I'm, I'm not saying that it doesn't, but I, you know, UNCG just rolled into Doke last Tuesday and won 16 to 13. And I'll bet they felt a whole lot more about that game than NC State did coming into it. Um, so things might snowball on any one ACC team this year. And, you know, as I sit here and look at NC State and see a 750 team ERA and a four game losing streak in which, you know, things have gone very, very poorly. Uh, they blow that lead against UNCG and, and give up 16 runs on a Tuesday. And then, uh, you know, Georgia Tech just bashes balls all over Doke over the course of the weekend. I mean, I, it's uh, it's not a good place to be in right now. And, and, and they're clearly searching for things on the pitching staff. And I don't know when they're going to find them, but they got to find answers in a hurry. Um, you know, Miami's offense hasn't been as potent as it might be this season. They, uh, they were controlled a little bit by Virginia tech in that series loss, but you know, anytime you have Dale Castillo and Terrell in the lineup, you know, you got to look out and, and you saw what they could do to Florida. So it's, uh, it, it's not, it's not light work uh, for, for this NC state pitching staff coming up and you know, that they, they, they have depth, but do they have, do they have it right now? I, I don't know. We'll see. The good news for NC State is that its offense is good enough. It's going to keep them in a lot of games. I mean, NC State has a very real chance of leading the ACC in games that take close to four hours. Because eh, I don't know. It's the ACC. Like, have you seen enough. Brian O'Connor and Scott Forbes manage games? I mean, that's true. I mean, the, the league does like to use a lot of relievers. Now, NC State is going to have to use a lot of relievers. This conference perhaps. is interminable sometimes. Out of, out of necessity, NC State might have to use a lot of relievers, and they're going to put up plenty of runs themselves. We mentioned Luca Tresh's name on the preview podcast, but it, it bears repeating how excellent he's been at the plate. Uh, Austin Murr, also very good. He's one of my favorite offensive players in college baseball because he – now he has a little more – when I first saw him, I guess it was preseason practice before the 2020 season, it was going to be his – what we're, what we know now is just his junior season. Now it's, he's a fourth year junior, but um, as a Juco transfer, and he kind of looked like a, I don't know, a, a guy who handles the bat and kind of slaps the ball around a little bit. And, you know, he clearly was going to be like a high, a high OBP guy who could hit some doubles, but he's actually got more power than I think I was giving him credit for when I first saw him, but he, he's a lot of fun to watch because he, he, he has that power, but he still does have the quality of, the guy who's just trying to like control his strike zone and get on base and hit and slap the ball around. He, um, you know, there are some guys when you watch them hit, it's like they use the, they use the bat, not as like a battering ram so much as they use the bat as like a, a shield to just kind of deflect the ball into different areas. And he has at bats. There are some times where he's looking to turn and burn, but he has at bats where he really does look like he's trying to use the bat just kind of as a deflection device to just kind of dump the ball over here or line the ball this direction or place it right here. And um, it makes him kind of fun to watch because you never know what you're going to get in an at-bat with him. And he's just a really effective player too, because he is a high OBP guy. He can run the ball out of the ballpark and he's going to hit a whole ton of doubles. So 
uh, it's a good offense. It's just a, like you said, with NC state, it's, you know, um, it's going to be a tough schedule. They'll have to get something figured out on the mound, no matter what it looks like, you know, whether it's somebody stepping up and being a real dude to the front of the rotation to give them at least one day, they feel pretty good about starting pitching, or if it's just piggybacking all the way through they're they're going to have to figure something out, but they are going to get a lot of help from the offense. Yeah, uh, that is, uh, that is one thing we can, can say with certainty. Uh, one thing I want to just touch on briefly here um, is that UNC and UVA this weekend made some history, or the ACC made some history in the UVA-UNC series. Uh, there was an all-black umpiring crew for the first time in any Power 5 or MLB game slash series. So that in itself is uh, kind of wild. That never had happened at any of the Power 5 conferences or in Major League Baseball, uh, but good for the ACC for, for making that happen. And uh, that was very intentional to do it uh, here on the what was the last weekend of Black History Month. Yeah, they called it out at the beginning of the UNC game. I was there for that that first game in the series. They they called it out over the PA. It was a, a cool moment. They went and took a, a bunch of pictures together. It was uh, cool to have seen that and cool to be a, a part of it. And I was glad the ACC not only did it, but made it made a deal out of it. All right, and Joe, let's put a bow on this ACC talk with uh, the two teams that were not in conference action. That is Louisville, uh, which stunned the baseball world, college baseball world, by losing to Western Illinois on Friday. That is the Leathernecks if uh, for the uninitiated, and they were 0-13 last year. That was Western Illinois' first win since May 18, 2019, uh, which is truly wild. Um, Louisville did rebound and win the series. And then you had Clemson, like I mentioned, playing South Carolina in a rivalry series that I was very excited for. And then they got rained out on Friday and other things happened. And, uh, it ultimately felt like it kind of went under the radar, but South Carolina won two very, very exciting games, fun to watch, um, on walk-offs and you know, Clemson played pretty well. Uh, games were a little more offensive maybe than I, I had anticipated them being, but uh, Clemson did well. They just didn't finish. Ultimately, South Carolina was able to, to grab those two walk-off wins. So, Joe, uh, take, take that anywhere you, anywhere you want with, uh, with Louisville or Clemson. The Louisville loss to Western Carolina is just bizarre for all the reasons that you, you suggested. And sometimes you have these big upsets and – you can look at it and go, okay, well, it was a fluky kind of deal, you know, the couple of, and it was, it was a nasty day. Like the weather looked awful in Louisville that day. It was the type of game where if it hadn't ended when it did, if it was three or four innings earlier, they probably would have delayed that game at some point. Cause it was just really looked pretty gross. So that maybe plays a little bit of a role, but it wasn't that like Western Illinois out hit them 15 to five played better defense than they did. Got better pitching throughout the game. It was just a weird a weird deal. They were completely outplayed. Uh, they did come back to win that series. Uh, so they deserve some credit there. We'll just kind of have to wait and see. I mean, you know, you tweeted. Going to find out a lot more this weekend when they go to Georgia Tech. I'll say uh, that. Indeed. Um, yeah, and that'll be something to watch because they they did have a whole group of players who were out this weekend. Um, you know, we presume we cannot say with any certainty, um, but we presume that was a COVID protocols thing for the most part. Uh, now, in those in that, we do not know which guys may have it, which guys were contact traced and 
you know, any, anywhere in between. So we don't know necessarily who will be returning, but it was, it was a list of 11 and most notable among them were uh, Glenn Albanese, who is starting pitcher, Dalton Russian, who had been DHing, uh, and Jared Poland, who uh, was one of their primary relievers. And going to Georgia Tech, if, you know, guys like Albanese and Poland aren't available, that could be a little bit of a problem. So, I mean, that is definitely something to watch as this next series approaches, as we just talked about Georgia Tech bashing the ball all over the city of Raleigh this past weekend. So we'll, we'll just have to kind of see with Louisville. I, I'm inclined to believe, eh, you know, bad day. Um, but we will, we will see moving forward. Um, the, I'm, I'm, I'm with you on the Clemson, South Carolina series. After it kind of got washed out on Friday and it, and they weren't going to, and I understand why they didn't just do it as a doubleheader. Like they want to give, you know, they want to make sure teams get their home games in this rivalry series. That's the way it's designed, but you're right that it kind of did make it take a back seat after it got pushed back, especially because Saturday had so many doubleheaders all over the place that it just got, you know, buried under a mountain of other things. Well, and like I talked about last week, when the number one team is playing a competitive series and like in danger of losing it. And in this case, like, was prepared to preparing to lose it at the same time Clemson and South Carolina was coming to a close. Ultimately Ole Miss came back and they lost the series a few hours later, but like, I mean, that, that just kind of took precedent for me. Yeah, absolutely. But it was, it was fun. Both games were fun. Both walk-offs uh, shots to Henry Reister for walking, uh, getting the walk-off hit in both instances. Um, also a shout to Wes Clark, who in the second game hit two more home runs. Uh, that guy is uh, pretty incredible, or at least has been uh, the last two seasons that we've seen him, 2020 and, and, and this season, uh, just, just hammering, absolutely hammering the ball. Well, for Clemson, I'm kind of with you that I, they played pretty well, and I don't know that I'd be very discouraged if I were a Clemson fan by what I saw. I mean, you're upset because you, you could have won either game, and you lost them both, and that's just kind of bad luck. But I was encouraged by a lot of what I saw, the fact that they were able to keep up offensively and the second game with South Carolina, I think, was was a good sign of things to come. Um, he, you know, seven hits in four innings isn't great, but I also think it was uh, a good sign for Davis Sharp to be able to strike out 10 against a good lineup in the way that he did, work around the hits in the way that he did. We've kind of been waiting to see if he can be a real frontline starter in the ACC, and he'll get that chance here in a few weeks. But uh, I think that was a good sign. So I'm, you're disappointed if you're Clemson to lose these games, but – I wouldn't be discouraged because I think they, they played pretty well, played both games tight. They could have gone either way. Ultimately, I think it just came down to, you know, one or two things here and there. Um, so disappointed, but not discouraged. And I think they're going to be, I don't think it has changed anything about the way I think about their ability to compete in, in the ACC, uh, which is going to be a tough road for them. They are kind of, you know, in, a, in that space with some of those teams, it's kind of hanging around right on the, the line of, of who will get in the postseason and who won't. So they're going to have, they're going to have some work to do in the ACC, but I, I think this series, if anything, you know, buoyed my uh, my thoughts about how they can compete in the ACC. Big series against Notre Dame coming up again. That's uh, 2021 College World Series participant Notre Dame fighting Irish. Right. Uh, Notre Dame unranked in the unranked in the polls, number one in Teddy's heart. It's uh, it's truly wild that I, I have adopted Notre Dame. Just like if you know, 12-year-old me would be like, what is happening right now? <laughs> Number one in your heart? Uh, but here we are. The, the strange things that, that this job and uh, 
being determined to be right about predictions uh, does, to the, does to people. Uh, let's, um, if you want to read more of my thoughts about the ACC, and I, I had a lot check out off the bat this, this morning um, or from this morning, went, went deep into Notre Dame, which I, I also want to just mention here uh, was without pitching coach Chuck Rostano this weekend due to COVID protocols. And so that meant somebody else was calling pitches and, and that somebody was, was Rich Wallace. So uh, just kind of crazy thing that had to happen uh, this weekend. And, you know, that's not going to be the only time that happens around the country this, this year. So uh, an interest, yeah. I feel like it got way overblown uh over the summer when college football teams were like well who's going to be the head coach if if the head coach is out and you know it did happen Nick Saban missed games and Ryan Day missed games but uh you know in, in college baseball missing your the head coach is is going to be important but missing your pitch caller uh is is also highly significant so uh that, that was just a kind of an, another interesting subplot to to what was happening in Winston-Salem with uh with the Irish uh, but anyway, I went to went to some depth on them. Uh, looked at Pitt, looked at N- North Carolina. So uh, you can uh, you can check that all out over at baseballamerica.com. Joe, let's head out west here uh, quickly. UCSB was playing a big series against Pepperdine. Uh, we actually didn't talk about it on the preview podcast because uh, I didn't pick the game because I didn't want to try and figure out whether Pepperdine was for real or not, and then you didn't either. So we just did. <laughs> really address it which uh i was just fine with again i wasn't sure what to make of pepperdine uh who we did pick as the west coast conference favorite coming into the season and now uh oh boy after ucsb swept them the waves are are looking a little rough and the gauchos looking every bit like uh like the the big west conference favorite and and a you know potential host team this season yeah, UCSB now 6-0 and after losing their opener against Santa Clara. And, uh, you know, thoughts and prayers to the rest of the Big West because I think the chance to maybe, maybe, maybe we'll be wrong about this, but I think the chance to get UCSB might have passed already because they were not pitching particularly well the first uh, weekend of the season and then the first couple of games against Pepperdine. Um, you look at the stat sheet and it's, it's not kind of what you expected from guys like Zach Tora and, and Michael McGreevy, but the last two games um, that really kind of flipped um, Rodney Boone for the second to, for Rodney Boone's credit for the second time in a row was, was quite good. And they got a, um, they got a good start from Corey Lewis as well uh, and pitched like the team we expected uh, the last two games, that Pepperdine series to really finish off that, that series sweep. So at the same time, the offense has been about as good as we could have expected and probably better than we expected. Um, you know, so I think there was maybe, a, I went into this weekend kind of feeling like, and even after the first two games of the Pepperdine series, kind of thinking like UCSB is not really playing that well, but they, they kind of kept winning. Now it seems like they're figuring some things out. You look up, Oh, they're 15 in the rankings. And I get that the rankings are in this case, just my and Teddy's opinion on this, but um, that's not for nothing. Um, so they're one of the best teams in the country, certainly one of the best ones out West. And it still feels like they're just now getting their legs under them. So, uh, this is, this is really is a team to watch the second half of the season. If the offense can continue to hit at this level and you know, it's on a sliding scale, right? I mean, the team is hitting 274, but this was an offense that just wasn't very good last year. And, and, you know, Andrew check on the podcast with us talked about, yeah, last year was kind of like a, 
a reset year offensively. And then when the season ended, when it did, we, we didn't really still didn't really know who we are. So this almost feels like a continuation of that season in that way, but early returns have been quite good there. Marcos Castanon, probably the best example, second baseman who was the best hitter on the team last year, uh, but has been really, really good this year. He's hitting 462 to lead the way. McLean O'Connor has been a catalyst. He's back. He's, he's healthy. Uh, last year, I guess he was a little bit dinged up according to coach check So he's, feeling good. He's healthy. He's hitting the ball. Well, um, Pepperdine is weird. Um, you know, they still could be <laughs> the team to win the WCC. I guess that's still possible. There, there have been years in the WCC where the, that conference's champion is like, I don't know. He's, I forget exactly how many games are playing this year, but typically it's, I think it's 27 or 30 in previous years and they'll be champions. They're like 18 and 12 in the WCC. So that is this also wouldn't be the first time that one of those teams specifically Pepperdine started slow and figured it out right. in conference play. If you're looking for some, some good news there, um, you know, Billy Cook is still kind of struggling, although he did hit a grand slam over the weekend. Wyatt Young got it going a little bit. He had a hit in all three games or in all four games, pardon me, and went three for four in the third game. So it looks like maybe he's coming alive a little bit offensively, but it's still a team that's hitting 210. And it was a really good offense last year. It wasn't just kind of a, you know, an average offense that could show signs of being better. It was, it was a really good offense last year. So uh, we expect, well, I feel like I should expect that to get better, but, but who knows um, at some point you kind of just are what you are. So that's something to, to monitor there, but uh, yeah, really impressed with UCSB, uh, especially if, if the pitching continues to improve at, at the rate we saw over the last two games of the weekend. I, I will say on the West coast conference race, uh, it looks like it's going to be a good-ish year for the league. I would say San Diego was, uh, you know, went out and won a series against Fullerton this weekend. Uh, Gonzaga split a four-game series at Dallas Baptist. Um, so those two teams look like they're they're ready to go. And then you know you have San Francisco, which followed up its series win at UCLA with a series loss at Cal. But I mean, still given that they're three and three against PAC 12 competition on weekends this year. I mean, that, that is, that is certainly very, very notable. So uh, the waves are going to have some competition there at, at the top of the league as, as is often the case, that looks like a competitive race. The, the other big thing happening out West this weekend was uh, that UCLA, UC Irvine series uh, that we did highlight on the preview podcast and they, the team split the first two games and then UCLA came out and won the rubber game on Sunday. Uh, looked like just a solid performance from UCLA in the two wins. Um, I, I I think it looked a little more like what we're expecting it to look like. Matt McLean is hitting really well. Zach Petway didn't start on Friday, but he did pitch. Uh, so that's, that's very good news for the Bruins and, uh, Nick Nastrini pitched really well on Sunday. Jesse Bergen, not so much on, on Saturday, but, but it looked like things are maybe rounding into a little better form there for the Bruins. For sure. On the mound in particular, you know, you're starting to see uh, this because one of the weirdest things about the San Francisco series was not just that, okay, you know, Jared Karras was just kind of okay. And, you know, um, Nick Nastrini struggled a little bit, but you, you know, the bullpen, was was not particularly good, but they really did a pretty good job over the weekend against UC Irvine. It started to look like the bullpen. I think that we expected to see. So uh, that's one thing. I think getting Petway back 
obviously will help. He looked good in his inning, um, you know, two strikeouts in the inning. And it was never really, you know, to hear John Savage tell it like he did on the podcast. It wasn't so much there was some sort of injury concern with Petway. It maybe was earlier in the offseason. It was just more like his preparation had been delayed a little bit. So hopefully he's fully healthy and just kind of ramping up. But I think that could be a game changer just to kind of settle them back into a familiar rotation there that certainly can't hurt. The offense, for it to be the team that we thought it could be, though, the offense is just going to have to be better. I mean, Matt McLean is carrying a pretty heavy load out there. Um, the team is hitting with no real power to speak of. They're slugging 286 right now. And we talked a little in the offseason about how this is probably not going to be an offense that has a Michael Tolia power hitter in the lineup. Uh, they were definitely more of an athletic lineup that had some depth as opposed to a lineup that had mashers. And it's one of those deals where I see it now and I don't want to get carried away with two weeks worth of results, but it's, it's a kind of deal where, you know, we were looking for reasons to just to nitpick different teams, right? We did it with Florida. We tried to do it with UCLA and it's one of those deals where it feels like I should have seen it where it's like, you know, maybe there are more questions on this offense than, um, you know, I was, um, than I was seeing originally where I felt confident about Matt McClain, but it's other than that, it's like, okay, we we've seen, you know, 15 games or whatever from Michael Curiali. Um, you know, Mikey Perez has never been a full-time guy over the entirety of a season. You know, Noah Cardenas really struggled with the bat last year. Um, you know, JT Schwartz hasn't played yet. Uh, I guess we, we didn't know that necessarily at the time. Um, you know, Kyle Cuellar had a breakout year in 2020, but how real is that for a guy who's been in the program? Kevin Kendall missed last year with injury. Like, what can we expect from him? And, he, and he's been one of the better bats so far. So, you know, it's one of those deals where it, you overlook it a little bit. And then when you see the results, it's easy to kind of hindsight being 2020, go back and go, aha, of course, you know, of course, this is where they would struggle a little bit. So maybe I was trying to put a little bit of a sheen over it. And maybe it was just giving them the benefit of the doubt because it was a pretty good offense in 2020. But either way, you can look at it now and find plenty of reasons why maybe we should have been expecting it to be a little bit of a slower start for the offense. I just assumed that wasn't going to matter because they were going to pitch at such a high level that they would kind of grow into it as an offense. That, you know, no, it wasn't going to be a high powered offense, but like okay, it's UCLA. When is that ever really the case? Um, but, you know, without Schwartz, they uh, they don't have that power threat outside of McLean. And McLean's not really a power threat. He just is a guy that has some power. Like, that. that's not what makes him a great player. So, uh, you know, I, I, I think that if they can figure some things out offensively, like, they still have the ceiling we felt like they did. But uh, it, it does put more pressure on the pitching staff if they're not going to hit any better than they're hitting right now. Um, so we'll uh, – We'll see where they go from here, but this was a, a really solid series win um, against the Anteaters. Uh, that, that was that was really the, the, the big stuff that happened out West. Oregon State is now 7-1, and one, and we seriously talked about them for the top 25. Didn't quite pull the trigger on the Beavers, uh, but definitely look out for them. And then Arizona State is 4-2, and two, uh, having won a series last week against Sacramento State, and then this week against Hawaii. Those are two pretty solid series wins, I think. The bad news is that Cooper Benson left his start on Friday after one inning, no update on that status as of yet, but definitely something to monitor for the Sun Devils going forward. Uh, the other thing that I wanted to just mention briefly here coming out of the weekend is that Joe Rock threw the season's first no-hitter uh, for Ohio. It was a seven-inning uh, no-hitter against Moorhead State. 
he is uh, a rising draft prospect and uh, you know, so, so shouts to, to Joe rock uh, for, for getting the job done on Friday. Yeah. Quickly on, on Joe rock. I don't know if you remember this, but I think this is kind of instructive of the phenomenon we've talked about throughout the off season of not having a 2020 season has really left a lot of mystery about guys. I remember I, maybe it was when Carlos put out an updated list or something, or, you know, I'm not sure exactly what precipitated the event, but I do remember you sending me a Slack message one time and asking who is Joe rock. Yeah, it was a, uh, it was a draft list that, that dropped and Joe rock did not pitch in 2020. Like, yeah. so not only did the season get shortened, but he was hurt. And so he didn't pitch and uh, like Joe rock, his existence completely vanished from, from my mind over the off season. Well, and let's, I mean, and like, I'm not throwing stones either. Like I think I only figured out who he was because I saw that list and then went and looked him up. So it's not like I was some sort of, yeah, I just set the slack. I I expected Joe to do the work for me. (laughs) I was certainly not uh, up on the latest happenings in the world of Joe rock, but yeah, certainly a guy who was getting some buzz going into the season. And now, you know, he clearly has, has lived up to it at least early on. Yeah. And part of, um, you know, I, I feel particularly bad about that because he is a Mac player, and uh, that that is that is one of the leagues I, I am closely watching at all times. And he's part of a really good group of pitchers in the Mac this year. I, if you're if you're looking for like a really college baseball hipster race to watch, like check out the Mac Pitcher of the Year race uh, with Joe Rock, Miami Ace Sam Bachman, Kent State Ace Luke Albright. Um, Ball State has some guys. John Baker is the most prominent. He's been there a really long time and is has a chance to be the most successful pitcher in, in the history of the program. Uh, they've had better, pure stuff guys like Brian Bullington, went number one overall uh, 20 years ago. But uh, John Baker is going to leave there with a lot of records probably. So it, it's uh, there's a lot of pitching to be found in, uh, in the Mid-American Conference this year. All right, so we touched on a lot around the country. Uh, hopefully, hopefully that that uh, that was a good summation of what happened uh, this weekend in college baseball. If you're looking for more, there's plenty more at baseballamerica.com. I mentioned off the bat already. That's up there. Uh, I go into Arkansas. I go into the ACC. Uh, that there's more there. Joe in the the top 25 goes through and. Uh, writes a, a brief summary of what every team in the top 25 did over the last week. So if you're if you're looking to to find out what happened with all the top 25 teams in, in any given week, that is definitely the, the place to go. Uh, so I would encourage you to, to check that out as well. We will be back here on the podcast on Thursday with uh, a preview of the, the coming slate of games. Uh, I would say the most exciting thing about this coming week is that the Big Ten is going to join the party. Uh, been missing them the last couple of weeks. They will they will start their season. Uh, of course, it is a conference-only season, and it is opening this Friday. So uh, we'll, uh, we'll definitely address that and everything else uh, to come later in the week. So make sure you are subscribed to the Baseball America podcast on your favorite podcasting app, be that Apple podcast, Stitcher, Spotify, anywhere you get your podcasts. You can find us and while you're there, like, rate, review, all the rest of that. We uh, would greatly appreciate all of that. You can follow Joe and me on Twitter. Joe is at Joe Healy BA. I am at Ted Cahill. Thank you to Rap Soto for presenting the Baseball America College podcast. Thank you guys for listening. 
For Joe, I'm Teddy. We'll see you next time on the Baseball America College Podcast. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.